0: when you're doing a job and you're doing it really well and you're seeing the changes happen, especially for your kids, then you feel empowered as a person and it, and it filters into your personal life, that sense of empowerment, that sense of purpose, that sense of joy. And so that's what coaching did for me. And so, you know, I feel like I can participate in that with someone else. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney
1: and I'm the author of the essential guide for student-centered coaching and our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance.
2: And I'm Brandon Lewis and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri.
1: And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together.
2: Just like our last episode, we want to start with talking with a teacher. There are so many different dynamics when it comes to student learning. It's just great to hear from some different perspectives. Carly and I are good pals that go way back. In fact, Carly's mom and my dad worked together when Carly was born. Our families have always been close, but we became even closer when shortly after I moved to Kansas City, she started dating my best friend from back home. Now they're married, have two sweet boys, and she is a special day teacher in Stockton, California. Carly, welcome to the show. Thanks for being willing to join us today.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: So being a self-contained SPED teacher in a pandemic is still very different than like being a classroom teacher. Um, So what would you say some of the extra challenges are that you face given your current situation um, like with your current students?
3: I would say that I have, I only have 10 students currently in my class, but I have 10 students at 10 very different levels. And in the past, what I did was a small group and centers. So I never had desks, I had tables. And there would be an adult at each table, and we'd rotate, and I would level the groups that came through. So we'd do something different, or I'd modify something, uh, challenge the higher students, do something totally different, or add manipulatives for some of my Uh, lower students and then when I returned and they had to be in desks uh, with plexiglass and six feet apart I was asked to project whatever I'm doing on the Apple TV which that's good for them visually but to have them all attempting to do kind of the same thing has been quite a challenge. Uh, I do have two paraprofessionals in my classroom so I have one who sits with two students who do something completely different. And then me and the other one try our best to uh, modify and circulate and change things as much as we can. But it's just a different ball game this year.
2: So I do remember you telling me before that because you have a special day class, you they are the only students that are even
3: in the building right now. Yeah, um, we returned. We did two months of distance learning, and we returned on campus in October. And the rest of the students in our district are still doing distance learning, so only students that are on an IEP that has them all day in a special ed class came back. So that's about one class per campus is on. Um, so it's it's a little different. We are the only you know line of students walking through the hall. We are the only ones out on the playground. Um, we. We cannot use the library or the cafeteria. We have to stay on our side of campus. So we kind of have some limitations, but it's just us.
2: So the fact that you have been virtual with them in the past, but now you are in person, can you talk a little bit about maybe the differences between the two?
3: Yes, we get a lot more done now. I will say my kids and their attention span on distance learning was, was not great. Uh, we, had, we had breaks in between, but I mean, I had kids leaving. I had, I saw every inch of every home of my students. They would take it, walk around, uh, show me their dog, show me their backyard during math. So now that I have them seated in front of me, uh, attention is better, we're getting a lot more done. A lot of times it's not necessarily the moments in the classroom. It's just them together and how much joy they find in each other's company and playing outside. These I had the same kids actually last year. I have a couple new ones. But when they got to come back and see each other, it was priceless. They love each other. And they have started projects outside. They found this plant that had come up by the roots and they replanted it and they water it with their water bottles and they, they're so excited about it. They've taught each other, these are the roots and these are the leaves. And they say, do you wanna check on our plant today? Let's see if it's grown. I don't wanna break it to them that it's not gonna grow as big as the tree that they think it's gonna to grow too, but they are having a blast and just seeing them together and en- enjoying and learning that way has been amazing.
2: In, in any kind of classroom, we talk about how it's always a community and that's your goal is to make it a community. With you having 10 kids and you have them for two years all day long, I can only imagine the community that you have with them, with their families.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. It's a really special place to be able to just talk to their parents like I do. I've known them for, you know, I've had their kid for a year and a half. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that's really cool.
3: And they're, they're all really good friends. They know each other a little too well, actually. I think that's really sweet. But it was really interesting when we came back, and I had you know prepared my my little slideshow about the new rules in class and on campus, and yeah. explaining to them how we're the only class here, um, and just the new things they have to do, like the social distancing and masks and stuff like that. It was so interesting to hear what the kids knew, what they what they came with, right. Um, it, varying you know a couple of them came but they they all knew you know there's a virus and we need to be careful that was the main takeaway Uh, and one kid came up with we're superheroes and we have to do this to stop the virus (laughs) and they took their superhero job pretty seriously for a while
2: (laughs) well carly i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat with us and share just a little bit about what goes on in your class with your students um, and selfishly, it was good just to have some time just to chat with you and, and see you and catch up. Um, so thank you so much for being here with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It was so good to see your face. I miss you.
2: I miss you too, Carly. Thank you.
1: Welcome to this episode of Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast. Today we get to talk to Sasha Robbins. And I met Sasha through our student centered coaching certification courses that we lead at the University of Wisconsin, Madison. And Sasha is from Kuwait and she works as a coach at the Al Bayan Bilingual School. And before Sasha was a coach, she was a teacher and she had taught at Hillel Academy in Jamaica. And she made a big leap to move from Jamaica to Kuwait and um, really jumped in as a coach. And so I'm really excited to talk with you, Sasha, about what your work is looking like these days in your school and how you're um, developing and learning as a coach. So welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much.
1: So we were thinking we might just start with a little bit of background um, beyond the bio and just give you a chance to tell us a little bit more about just your background of becoming a coach.
0: Well, um, it started because I had a coach and when I, I'd never heard about coaching, but when I moved to Kuwait in 2016 to start my teaching career there, um, one of the things they mentioned was that we have instructional coaches. And so the coaches did a presentation to the new staff. And as soon as the presentation was over, I dashed out and ran after one of the coaches. And um, I said, I'm gonna need your help. Cause I knew I was, you know, I am yes, I'm an experienced teacher, but I was moving to a different culture. You know, you're gonna need some support. And so um, that's how my relationship with coaching started. And um, I thought, oh, you know, I want to be a coach. And then I thought, no, Sasha, you can't do that. Because how do they ask the questions that they ask? How do they know the things that they know? You could never do that. And I thought about my coach who was amazing, who is amazing. And I thought, I can't do what he does. And I, and I said, forget about it, Sasha. But the thought was in the back of my head and it would come and it would go.
1: Yeah, one of uh, of the best ways to become a coach is to be coached and to be coached well, because you see the value then of coaching because you've experienced it as a teacher. Um, And you're that teacher we all love as coaches, the one who's eager and sees the purpose. And so that's a great, what a great way to begin in this work.
2: My boss, when we interview for coaches, the very first question is always, tell me about a time you've been coached. And if they can't really speak to being coached, it's amazing to see how quickly she gets through the rest of the questions to get to the next candidate. <laughs> yeah, it's all about being willing to be coached. Obviously, you believe in it, and then that's why you want to become one yourself. So that's that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, right. You know, coaching really is such a powerful thing. I mean, for me, it goes beyond. Um, yes, I'm improving my practice as a teacher. But when you're doing a job and you're doing it really well and you're seeing the changes happen, especially for your kids, then you feel empowered as a person and it, and it filters into your personal life, that sense of empowerment, that sense of purpose, that sense of joy. And so that's what coaching did for me. And so, you know, I feel like I can participate in that with someone else. It's not that I'm giving them a feeling but we're working together to create that sense of well-being you know and and i don't think it's it, it should be contained within your professional life and so i feel like i'm a coach i want to become the kind of coach who is always a coach i'm not running around asking so i wonder i'm not going to be doing that all the time but i want to embody coaching as a way of being in my life you know,
1: (laughs) I have to say you already do. So you're, you're there.
0: (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get there.
2: Yes. Can you explain a little bit about your school just for our audience that's listening in? Sure. Um, so I'm in a pretty big
0: school. We have over 2000 kids. It's, um, a pre K through 12 school. Um, and it's a bilingual school. Um, So the core courses are taught in English and the kids are also taught um, other courses in Arabic, you know, like Arabic itself Islamic studies that kind of that kind of thing. Um, And we have a pretty diverse teaching population, Um, many um, people of Arab descent from, you know, the Western world from the Middle East. Um, we have teachers from Africa. We have people from India. We have a couple of us from Jamaica and, and many people from other Western countries, the USA, Canada, Australia, the UK, a little of everything. So yeah, I think that's a little bit about Bayan. How many coaches are in your
1: school then? What's the coaching team looking like?
0: So we have nine coaches. Five of us are instructional coaches, and the other four team members are tech coaches.
1: That's awesome. So do you coach across divisions, or do you coach just in one specific? You're middle school, right?
0: No. So I'm I'm coaching middle school and high school. However, we can work with teachers outside of the divisions that we're assigned
1: so mostly middle school and high school, and then a little bit elementary as well.
2: Yes,
0: I've dabbled there.
2: Hey, Sasha, do you ever... I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that it's a bilingual school. So do you tend to have more partnerships with teachers who teach classes in English or in Arabic?
0: I work with teachers who teach in English because um, there'll be such a big um, language barrier. A lot, many of our teachers who teach in Arabic are bilingual. Um, but I only work with teachers who teach in English.
1: A big part of our coaching work is getting into classrooms, which has been interesting during
0: COVID. How has that been looking for you? Um, so I've gone into classrooms in two ways um, to help teachers, to support. First, it was just we need a co host. Can you be our co host? Can you be that extra pair of eyes? Can you help us troubleshoot? And so at the start of the semester, and even in the um, previous semester, that's what I was doing a lot of. Um, And then that gave me some opportunities to start um, co-teaching with teachers. And that's primarily with the teacher I was with in elementary. Um, So what we would do is we would plan together, very formal related to what the, the lesson was. And then I would give a response and then that would be like a conversation then between the two of us, between us and the kids. And so that helped to really create a lot of engagement for the students. Um, And so that's how we would co-teach. So I would help to reinforce the concepts in that way. Um, In other ways with middle school or in high school, what I've done is a lot of breakout rooms. So I'm there to help to support a teacher, support kids who might be struggling a little bit and need that extra support in the breakout room. And so that's what I've been doing. Um, when I'm in a class, you know, it's very different from how it used to be when we were um, physically together, but that's how I've kind of been able to co-teach.
1: Yeah, the breakout rooms is such a great opportunity because we want to be assessing, and that's probably the best chance for secondary to be able to do some listening in and hearing how the kids are engaging as learners, so that's a great strategy. Is there anything you do to prep teachers or Just to kind of get them ready for you to be partnering with them in this way?
0: Um, Yeah, you know, usually it's a conversation that we have before like, how is this gonna look? How is it gonna sound? What do you need me to do? How can I um, support? Because um, for many teachers, the idea of being your, of you coming into model is not the thing that they want to do. And I get that. I understand why, because it's almost like you, let it feel like, you know, you're relinquishing the power. How am I going to appear before my students if you have to be doing it? Um, And so I really prefer to co-teach in a way where we appear as partners, where we're literally coming together as partners, as opposed to me coming in to teach. You're the expert in your class with your kids. I don't think it's really my place to do that. So I like when we are going in and we know, okay, this is what I need you to do. This is how we're going to do it. Um, And so we talk about that and we prepare for that. And we just try to stay focused on the targets. And yeah, I think, you know, that seemed, I prefer to do that. I really don't want to be your guest teacher.
1: That idea of modeling came up in our last episode too, and how it can sort of defeat the idea of partnership in a classroom if we're taking over and, and trying to be the the model t- teacher and it, assuming that the other teacher needs us to take on that role so that's really interesting you bring that up given that in our two podcast interviews it's come up both times.
0: Yeah and and um, one of the things because I see how teachers respond when you say okay you know I could model this for you and I know how I felt when a coach has said oh you know I could model this for you and I've had the experience as I said I worked with a great coach and what we were doing was we were tag teaming so we were going around we were looking we're making our observations we're making our assessments and so there are certain things that he would do and I would get to he would model but in a way that was very authentic so I had students who were struggling with a learning target okay um, I'm gonna take these students you can come please come see what I'm doing with them. And so that was his way of modeling for me. And I found that more effective. And so what I'm doing now and what I want to continue to do is to work with teachers in that way um, and let them kind of guide me to what they need me to do in the classroom. So You're learning
1: how to be a coach from being well-coached. You're applying the things that worked for you as a teacher. So just think you might be currently coaching some future coaches yourself something to think about. I literally am. I literally am. (laughs) So neat.
2: I just think it's great that you are able to use your former coach as a mentor as well, as we always are looking for different ways to learn, but you can pull back on your previous experiences. Um, And it's the the person earlier that you mentioned, I want to do that someday. So you almost were in that partnership knowing I want to do this someday. So I'm sure there was a piece of you that was looking at it that way as well.
0: Um, frankly, no, I knew I kind of wanted to do it. And then I thought, and then what I was seeing was more like, Aaron does this so well, there's no way I could do this. He is like a rock star to me in coaching. And I, and I, and I really pulled back from the idea of doing it. I remember even when the vacancies for coaching came out, I got excited because I thought another friend of mine would have been perfect and the evening somebody called and said, Sasha, um, are you gonna apply? I'm like, no, I'm not. But when, when Aaron said, Sasha, are you gonna apply? I think you should apply. I really stopped to think about it. And I stopped to think about what I really want to be doing in education. And what I wanted to do was to really be a support to somebody else um, who was teaching. I know the challenges I've had because I didn't come to teaching initially because I was also in love with it. It was the first job that came along. And so, um, you know, it's something that I grew to really care about. But I realized that I wanted to do something outside of being the classroom teacher. And I thought, this is what I get. This is where I get to really, really, really serve. This is the kind of service that matters to me and I know what it is to be um a novice teacher I know what it is to have those quiet struggles as a teacher and not have anybody to um say hey what do you think of this idea or can you practice you know can we practice this together before I try this out with my kids um and so you know I I just wanted to be able to be that um And I know, and having had a great coach, I it's really, really possible for kids to do well with the right or with best practices, you know, really thought out.
1: You mentioned that a big piece of what you were absorbing when you were being coached was questioning how, how have you been focusing in on just the act of questioning as a coach?
0: Um, last, like I, I came into coaching knowing that that was a thing that I really wanted to become. I don't know if you ever become a master of good questioning, but I wanted to really become a great question. I feel like great questions unlock so many mysteries, so many answers. And, um, and that's what I saw in my coach. He was a great questioner. And last year I knew that I wanted to improve on that, but um, I didn't have a a systematic plan. Like this year it's a goal. Um, And so I've been thinking about this and I learned about what it means to be a progress partner. And I think an important part of being a progress partner is to ask the right questions at the right time. And so I've collected um, the questions that we have in different coaching models. And I've been looking at them and trying to take from them the ones that I think are most important for me to use consistently, the ones that um, I notice get a really good response from teachers that helps to deepen the thinking. And um, so I've now been putting them together in a checklist for the different stages of the student-centered coaching cycle. And sometimes I wonder why am I doing this? Because I already have, why am I trying to reinvent the wheel? But I'm doing this because for me personally to own coaching, um, I want to, there are certain questions that I feel I want to ask. And so looking at the different coaching models and taking um, what I think helps me to be the coach that I want to be is what is helping me. And I've seen the power of these questions. Um, And so I'm learning how to be, when to kind of pay more attention to when I'm being facilitative, when I'm being directive, what do I need more of at this time? Um, And just preparing those questions. So now I have them on little um, laminated cards and some of them are highlighted. And I have to say a lot of those questions are your questions that I got from you oh, those are no. the ones that I've been using mainly yes yes i wish we i had to show you
1: yeah we always advocate for people to be literally to own it and make it them like authentic and true to who you are as a coach and so you take it might feel like you're reinventing the wheel but you're taking that step to to make them yours to own it so i think that's huge brandon have you experienced that too with questioning
2: Yeah. What I was going to say about that too, is that you're, you're taking the role of a learner and you're going through that process yourself too. So you can take questions and you can just recycle through them and ask them. But if you don't live it yourself as a learner and come up with your own questions, I think you're going to miss out on so much of that process. Give me one of those questions that you're talking about. That's always on your note card that you ask someone that you feel like causes some of the most reflection. That's been the most uh, fruitful for you as a coach
0: um what else I like to ask that question because and I and and I I like to ask that because it causes you to stop and think is there anything else that you need to say um is there anything more and sometimes there is something more a lot of times there is something more you know so I like to ask what else is there anything else that you have to say you know
2: I love the simplicity of that, too. It is literally a two-word question, and it could be something that they maybe didn't feel comfortable and they were holding on to something, but you giving them that one more opportunity to open up could be what it takes for them to really open up about the learning that's taking place in their classroom. Mm -hmm. So I know that your school has been working with priority standards and um, writing learning targets. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and what your role has been in that?
0: So last year, prior to the pandemic, we were doing a lot of work together in teams, looking at the standards, identifying what the priority standards were, and also moving from that into creating the learning targets. So I felt like we were really putting a lot of time into that and then when the, and we had gotten to the point where we did have those standards and the learning targets were done so where we're at now is that that kind of came to a halt very suddenly because of the pandemic and so now we're back at the point where now that we're settled back into school and we're trying we have found our groove and our rhythm as a school online we're about to go back to look at those um, learning targets and refine them even further um, because you know, it's the teachers who had to go and create all of those learning targets. It's not like we bought a curriculum and we had all these things already done for us. And so it's been a process of learning. And so now is the time to really go back with fresh eyes and look at where the learning targets are at. Do they need further refinement um, and which departments need that extra support? So um, as coaches, Definitely, um, especially in middle and high school, we were there to kind of facilitate the process under the direction of the um, curriculum specialists. So we were there to help the teachers, um, sitting on some of those meetings as they created them together, help to um, dispel some of the um, concerns and some of the uh, misinformation and just to support the teachers in that work. So that's what we were doing.
1: So great that you had teachers involved in that because that's where learning, that's where the understanding comes from. And it's hard, it takes forever to do that work. And I'm sure you felt that what a big undertaking that was but it's such an important part of the process to include teachers. So that's awesome that that you did that. And I am sure you'll get back to that very quickly once things normalize.
0: Yeah, we're, I mean, we're hoping not. We're hoping to get back to that work um, in this semester because we don't have a choice you know, we're just trying to. These are now more than ever you realize the importance of having clear learning targets. We have to work with priority standards. We just don't have the luxury anymore. So we are going back to it.
2: You mentioned that you feel like as a coach with that work, you kind of took on the role as a curriculum specialist.
0: Um. A little bit, uh, well, we were supporting the learning, um, the curriculum specialists. Um, And so, you know, it was very clear what our role would be in the process, um, and what her role would be. So we're working under her direction, and supporting her supporting the teachers. It was it was it was a little bit challenging. um, But I think we came away with this kind of shared language, this kind of shared understanding. And so when we go, when we sit to plan with teachers, we're not, we don't have to be doing that reteaching per se because we know what a learning target is. Now, can we improve the learning targets? Do we need to clarify information about what um, what a learning target should look like, should contain? Sure. But um, we have a common understanding of what they are and I don't know. I feel it makes life a little bit easier because that's the basis that we're starting from. Yeah. I don't know if I quite answered your question.
2: No, I mean, there. it sounds great because I feel like what you're really doing is starting, you're laying that groundwork for future coaching work by having that shared language and for them understanding right. what it takes to have that target written the way that it is.
1: Yeah. That'll be, that'll anchor,
0: right? And I your coaching conversations. And I see how it has already because we start so, okay. So, you know, sometimes in that initial conversation, what are what are some of the learning targets that um, you're aiming at this um, for this unit? Um, what's really important for the students to know, you know, how can I help you to plan for that, to create those experiences that will, you know, that we'll be able to, um, the kids will be able to learn from. And then, so even questions about data um, are now we, the, the learning targets give us a basis to have those data questions. Um, it gives us, a, it, it helps to keep us focused. And now we can talk about success criteria and authentic assessments. And so, I feel like because we have this understanding of what the learning targets are, it helps to really narrow our focus, it helps to tailor the kinds of conversations that will result in that deeper coaching. And that's what I'm getting to do more this year. So do you have an example of a teacher you've worked with um, that you've at the middle
1: or the high school levels that you've been finding a lot of success with?
0: Um, yes, and it's, it's so funny because this didn't start out as a student centered um, coaching cycle. It really was just being an accountability partner to help her. So we were we got together to help her to define what her goals could be. And in the process of that conversation, um, she was feeling really disheartened. She'd had a rough year last year, in the, you know, not to mention the pandemic, but just um, the challenges of teaching an AP class and. Um, We started talking about what would feel good to her, what would be important to her. And so, yes, we created goals that were very much student-centered. But I said, there's is there one thing personally that you want to do that you want to see yourself grow in that is going to make a difference to the kind of joy you bring to your work and in the classroom? Can we what would that thing be? Or, you know, let's throw out some ideas. And um one of the things she thought about was probably doing reflections, reflections on what she was doing in the class. And I thought, okay, I, I like that. And so we started on that and now she's having them, she's, keep, she's recording these reflections in a way that matters to her in the form of a blog. And um, so that has helped to restore a great deal of her joy. It's helped to change the dynamic between herself and the kids because now she's looking at these reflections. She's like, it's not me providing answers but her now really directing the conversations when we get together and she's saying oh you know but I think maybe this is what I'll do or I'm gonna do I'm gonna try this strategy because based on what I saw or you know I want to do a survey with the kids and at first she was hesitant about doing surveys but like you know I need to know what they're thinking I need to know where they're at and so that's really changing the dynamic of um, the coaching and I'm hoping now that based on these conversations that we're having, which are really going back to supporting the kids, that I'll be able to go into the classroom to partner with her, as I said, not to model anything, but to simply be a partner in some of these things so that we could have, we can be able to look back and reflect and say, okay, yeah, this is what I got from it. And so um, she's really saying, you know, she appreciates the opportunity to just stop, to reflect, and you know and to be asked a question so she says "Sashi, really asked some questions and i'm like yes that's <laughs> such a success story i love it
2: <laughs> that is such a yeah. great coaching move to be able to mm-hmm. be in a conversation with a teacher which again form goes back to having those deep relationships right to where they can feel comfortable in talking to you about something and you can hear what they're saying and you can sift out that thing that you can then push in on um That's, yeah, that's a great coaching move. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more about what you're reading these days?
0: I find myself reading like little bits of a lot of things, but one thing I'm reading is this book called um, The Book of Beautiful Questions by Warren Berger. I think that's how he pronounces his name. It could be Berger. The premise of the book is that the right question at the right time could be really powerful. It could be life-changing, not only in in coaching, but just in life in general for leadership, for um, relationships um, in so many ways. And so when I think about um, coaching and I read this book, it's kind of reinforcing that idea that there is a question, there is a solution to a problem. And it might just be the right question that unlocks that um, answer that clarifies the dilemma and, and you know, points you um, to the way forward. So um, that's a book that I'm reading and I quite like, it's been interesting. It's, it's confirming and it's illuminating what um, I think about the power of a good question. And so it's giving me like a whole list of other questions.
2: Sasha, I love how you are a learner before anything else, and that is evident in literally every topic that we have covered today. Uh, yeah, I
1: can't. I mean, it's it's just so refreshing, right? To think, think of coaching as um, through a positive lens, first of all, so that you're seeing this as a beautiful challenge and a, and a, a challenge that you're inviting, and then to tackle that through being a learner. So it's just the the way you're, you're not modeling lessons, you're modeling being a learner, which is just so evident in this conversation today. Sasha, I remember the first time we were on a webinar together through the UW Madison coursework, and you stood out to me in the crowd as just being a person I wanted to keep knowing and keep connecting with. And so I appreciate that you reach out now and then. And we have this ongoing conversation just about coaching and what we're reading. And thank you for joining us today so we could explore some of that with
0: others as well. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been really fun talking to both of you. And, you know, a coaching conversation is never dull. It's never, you know, I could talk about coaching a lot, a lot of the time. (laughs) to say the least.
1: (laughs) Well, others feel the same way. So we appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Sasha. Your joy for learning and for coaching is very evident. And we're just so grateful that you were able to share this time with us. We appreciate it. Student-Centered Coaching the Podcast is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SCCoachingPod.